watching it, but it's like right here behind my head and it's playing and I'm getting the audio constantly. One of the ones that's been uh, in our DVD player for a while now is this movie uh, called Trolls. Has anybody seen the movie Trolls? All right, not like weird gross trolls, like the cute ones with the spiky hair that's all different colors, those kind of trolls. Um, We've been watching this movie Trolls uh, pretty consistently and I just want to share with you that the Lord revealed something really powerful to me in the midst of trolls. Like, that's how big our God is. Uh, and I mean that, like, very seriously, actually. Um, if you don't know the, the plot of trolls, basically there's these cute trolls, and they love to sing and dance and hug and sing and dance and hug, and that's their whole thing, right? Like, the, the, the whole thing about trolls is they, they, they're just this little group of people that love each other. Uh, but they, they come with their own sense of suffering and pain because there's this other group of, uh, of, of folks called the Bergens. And they're these giant, really ugly, kind of what you think of when you think of trolls type folks. And they believe that their only way to experience happiness is to physically eat a troll. It's, it's you know, I mean, it's a kid's movie, but it's kind of wild, right? Um, so the trolls uh, have this experience where they, they've been free from the Bergens for a long time, so they want to have this giant party to celebrate, this really big, massive party. The problem is when they have this big, massive party, one of the Bergens hears them and finds them, discovers these trolls that have been hiding from them and captures several of them. And the main character, Princess Poppy, her, her deal is she's like, well, we've got to go and save our friends. We've got to go save the trolls that have been captured. And I'm going to quote like part of the, the movie right here. And this is where you're going to understand that the Lord has talked to me. And you're going to say, man, my pastor's weird. I might try the church down the street next week as he talked about trolls and that he believes God can speak to him this way. But I want to share this with you. Um, there's this other character. Uh, Poppy has set out on this adventure. She's going out to save all these other trolls that have been captured. And she's got this friend who's essentially a curmudgeon. His name is Branch, and he sees the negative side of everything. She goes out to save her friends, and he recognizes that she can't do this alone. In fact, he recognizes that she doesn't know what she's doing. She's got a purpose, but she has no means by which she knows how to accomplish it. This is what she says. She says, all right, let's do this. Let's go. Let's rescue everybody and make it home safely. And this is what he says to her. Wait, wait, wait. What's your plan? She said, I just told you. The plan is to rescue everyone and make it home safely. That's the plan. And he says this really profound thing to her. That's not a plan. That's a wish list. That's not a plan, that's a wish list. We've been talking about what it means to pursue God. In fact, to even go out on a limb and say, look, this is what we believe God's calling us to do entirely as a church in this moment, is to pursue God, to know God. What does that look like? What does it look like to really pursue God? Well, one, it it takes us knowing and understanding our purpose. But there's more. In order to live the life of real pursuit, where we are relentlessly following after Jesus, there's more than just knowing our purpose. We've also got to live intentionally. We've got to live intentionally. We've got to live in such a way where we've got to plan. 
We know what it looks like to experience God and to spend time with God and know him and make choices, actual decisions that impact our day-to-day lives so that we can walk with and know the God we love. Last week, we talked very specifically about three things from John's gospel in chapter 17 in the high priestly prayer. Three things that that we looked at. We're going to look at these scriptures again in a minute. But the first thing we saw last week is that we're called to know God. That this is part of our purpose. That we're meant to know God. Second, in addition to that, we're not only called to know God, we are truly called to be transformed to be transformed by the work that God is doing within us through his spirit. And finally, that our purpose is also this, that we're to make disciples. We're to make disciples. Well, if that's our purpose, that's what we're called to, what does it look like to approach that in a way that's intentional? Where we're making decisions, not just say, I'm going to follow God. Okay, great. What does that look like? How does that take place in your life and in my life in practical day-to-day ways? Those are the things we're going to be talking about today, what it means to be intentional. And the goal of this is when we conclude our time today is that we're going to be together working to think together and thinking with those around us that are in community with us. We're going to have conversations. I mean, what's the plan? What does it look like for me to make a plan to intentionally, consistently, truly walk with God. Let's look at these three scriptures that we highlighted last week uh, today. John chapter 17, verse 3, 17, and then 23. John 17, 3 says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. And finally, John 17, 23, I and them and you and me, this is Jesus talking about him and the Father, that they may, and that's us, become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together. Thanks be to God. Three very specific things we're going to talk about today. Understanding and knowing our purpose is paramount. And yet, we need to talk through what it looks like for that purpose to take hold and place in the reality of our very lives. Look at John 17, 3, and this is what we see. That we are called to experience real life, and this is life. That we know the one true God, the Father, and Jesus Christ who he sent. I want you to think about somebody that you know. And I don't just mean that you know about, but like that you really know. Like there are folks in this room, like you know each other, right? Like you really, really know each other intimately. You have a deep relationship. You're really connected. How did you get there? Apparently, some of you got married by accident in this room. How did you get there? You spent time with that person, real time. And not just like sitting there across the table, but talking and and exchanging information and really more than that, sharing your heart. You spent time with them. I want to share with you something that is deeply profound. Deeply profound. 
we're supposed to be spending time with God. You and I are called to spend time with God. This is how we're going to get to the place where we know and experience life. If, if, if I'm telling you, hey, this is what the scriptures say, this is your purpose. Your purpose is to know God. The first question we ought to have is, say, great, how? How do I do that? How do I know the God who created me, the God who created everything? Nothing was made apart from him. How do I know him? How do I experience him? Well, here's how. By spending time with him. In Jesus, we have the very model, the perfect model of habits and rhythms of knowing God. I want us to look at a few scriptures. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Number one, let's look at Mark 1.35. It says this, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. One of the amazing things about the context of what's happening here is in Mark's gospel, this is him documenting the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And one of the things that you'll see if you read in this passage and you read earlier in Mark chapter 1 is the healing that he's doing, the things that are happening, and you'll see that his fame is beginning to spread everywhere. So the word is getting out about Jesus. There's ministry opportunity upon ministry opportunity. There's a billion people that now know that, hey, there's someone who offers hope and life and joy and love and healing and all of these incredible things. And while Jesus has every ministry opportunity in the world, this is the first thing that he does. The very first thing he does is in rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and he prayed. And if you could look beneath these words into the original language, here's what you would see. Every one of them is marked with intentionality. None of these things happened by accident. Jesus didn't kind of sort of stumble out of bed or just like, all right, I woke up to go to the bathroom and now I'm awake, right? And so I guess I'll go pray. No, this is very serious. He made a decision to go to a place separate and away to experience solitude and go spend time with God. This was a normal habit and normal rhythm for Jesus. He withdrew to the wilderness. He withdrew to desolate places, and he did so with deep intentionality. This is Luke chapter 4, verses 40 through 42. Now, when the sun was setting... All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. So the whole moral of the story here is that Jesus is, yet again, Luke is documenting the same thing that Mark has experienced, that Jesus has healed these people. In fact, if you go and read Luke chapter 4, Jesus is healing people and casting out demons, and his word is spreading. People are beginning to know who he is and the things that he's doing, the miracles of God that are occurring through his touch, through his speech, through his life. And the first thing he does is he gets up and he goes 
to commune with the Father, to go and spend time with his Father. One more passage, Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now I want you to think about this and the conundrum that seemingly exists here as you and I read it. Wait, there's more people that need to be healed. There's more things that need to be done. There's more ministry that needs to occur. And yet we find Jesus continually, the very first thing, the preeminent thing, the paramount thing that happens in his life as he awakes is he goes and he spends time with the Father. Jesus models for us that our purpose is to know God. Is there ministry to be done? Absolutely. Are there things that the Lord has called us to? Yes. But ultimately, life, our purpose, is that we would know and experience the God who created us in His image for His glory. And though we rebelled and ran and sinned and turned from Him in every possible conceivable way, He has redeemed us and reconciled us to Himself through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. The God that has loved us that deeply, we are called to know Him. In a few moments, we're going to talk about what it looks like to spend time with God. In order to know God, we need to spend time with Him. Second, we're called to be transformed. Jesus says these words. He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Jesus desires for us to be changed. The purpose of our life is that we would not stay as we are, but yet be transformed into the image and the likeness of our Lord and Savior Jesus, that day by day we're being sanctified. That means being made pure. It means being made holy. It means being changed, being transformed. And there's a very particular way that Jesus describes that this happens. He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. What does it look like to be transformed? Think about how things are changed, right? Um, I'm probably not going to win a ton of points for being cool today because I've already talked about trolls. But, like, this is, you know, the moment when you know you're kind of a grown-up is when you used to, like, take the television remote and you'd scroll past certain things. But now you kind of stop on HGTV because you want to see what they're building, right? Like, you want to see what this, what this project entails. That's, like, that's, that's kind of a signifier. So if that's you, then, hey, you're there. Um, I want you to think about these people that are remodeling or reconstructing a home, or it's Chip and Joanna, or it's the folks from Mississippi, or whoever these folks are, right? They have these shows that we watch and we look at and we say, man, this is a really cool thing. And there's this giant transformation that happens. And at the end, every time there's this big reveal where they kind of show the person and they're like, man, this is better. It's more, it's crazier than I could have ever imagined. But what happens to get to the end of that process is not by accident. It's incredibly intentional. Folks don't like show up with a skill saw and just kind of look around and say, 
yeah, I think this is going to happen. No, there's real active things that take place. There's like taking out walls, you know? There's, there's taking out walls. And one day we're going to like get rid of this open concept thing and we're going to go back to rooms and silence again and then we'll open them all up again. You know how it goes, right? But the people are knocking out walls and they're putting up new headers and there's load-bearing things that are changing and there's decor that changes and the color scheme and the palette. All of that kind of stuff changes, but it's done incredibly intentionally. You see these folks that are remodeling for people are creating something that are changing the face of something totally. They're having conversations with their client or this person and saying, hey, what do you want? What do you want it to look like? Because they got to make decisions in order to reach that outcome. What does that look like for you and me spiritually to be changed, to be transformed? Not just to be slightly improved upon or remodeled, but something even deeper. To be made new and continually look like Jesus himself. What does that look like? Where does it come from? Well, there are tools. Just like the folks that are remodeling the house need tools, there are tools and particularly God says, this is what I've given you. This is the gift for you to experience transformation by my spirit, and it is my word. So you and I are meant to not only spend time with God, but we're meant to spend time in prayer and God's word. This is something that is incredibly important for us as we grow as believers. We're meant to spend time with God in this way, to read the truth of his word he's revealed to us, and to spend time praying and talking with him. Now, you might say, hey, Michael, thus far, I appreciate what you're doing, but this is all stuff that I know. This is all stuff that, that like, I, I, I experience, I, I get it, man. I'm supposed to pray and read God's word. I learned that, like, in, you know, back when we called it Sunday school, Right? Like, that's, 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 I get it. Those are the answers. That's what I'm supposed to do. But I want to show you a little bit of an illustration through a, a gentleman named William Inge, who was a, a philosopher, theologian, who described quite often what I really believe, and I want to be very candid with you, what a lot of us, and I'm putting me in there, okay, have experienced at different parts of our life and how we fail to spend time with God in prayer and in his word, and I want to show you exactly what that's looked like. This is what he said. He said, it is quite natural and inevitable that if we spend 16 hours daily of our waking lives in thinking about the affairs of the world and five minutes in thinking about God and our soul, this world will seem 200 times more real to us than God. So let's do the William Inge math. And it's not perfect, but, I, but this, is, this is where he's going with this. He's making a really profound point. He's saying, all right, there's 24 hours in a day. And he says, on average, folks spend about eight hours sleeping. I want to know who you are. I want to get there. Um, that means 16 hours being awake. So this is what he's saying. The rough math is this, that five minutes is, all right, this is like one two hundredth of my day. Every small portion of my day, not a percent, a half a percent of my day. And he's saying, if that's the time that I'm spending with God, if that's how much time I'm investing in prayer, if that's how much time I'm investing in reading God's word, if that's how much time I've given to experience God, well, is it any wonder that everything else I experience is 200 times more real to me than my experience of him? 
Is it any wonder? It shouldn't be. God has called us to be people that spend time with him so that we know his truth, that we know the deep love that he has for us. I mean, I loved how beautifully this morning as John led us in our call to worship when we read Psalm 23, we, we heard this again, this, this profound truth of who God is. He's our shepherd. He leads us. He leads us in places where we are not wanting. He provides for us in every way. And then we get to this point where we sing together. We sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. We get to sing these beautiful words that he's the one that has truly echo in Psalm 23 that walks with us through the valley, through the moments of life's pain and suffering. I need to hear that again and again. Do you? I need to experience that truth and that reality, not just once, but over and over and over again. To be candid, I need it daily, and I need it hourly, and I need that truth moment by moment. What would our lives look like? What would it look like if not only we knew our purpose, but we're intentionally choosing to spend time with God by reading His Word and hearing from Him and then praying to Him. Third and finally, we're called to make disciples. Make disciples. This is John 17, 23, this unity that we have together. Jesus says, I and them and you and me. He's talking about the love that He has, the unity that He has with God the Father that they may become perfectly one. In Jesus' prayer here, and these are, these are important words, these are some of the last words that he utters uh, in John's gospel as he records it before Jesus goes to the cross. His prayer is that you and I, that we as believers would be one, that we would be of one accord. That means, that means not just we like the same things, but we doctrinally hold to and we hold fast to these truths, that we were sinners and Christ died for us, that the only hope, our only salvation is in Jesus who lived the perfect life, died on our behalf in a, propiti- uh, a, a propitiatory way, that there's a substitutionary atonement that takes place. Jesus takes our place and then is raised again on the third day. That we would be one in these things, in this truth, and recognizing this so that we can proclaim that and share that with others so that they know what? That God loves them. That they would know that the Father has sent the Son and that He loves them even as the Father loves Jesus. This profound love with which God loves his son is for you and it's for me. And someone shared that with us. Someone told us that. And now you and I are disciples. We're these people who are in pursuit of, we're following Jesus. We even sang that earlier. We want to follow Jesus with every breath that we have. We're doing that then we're also going to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus to those around us. That is our purpose. But how intentional are we being about that? What does it look like to make a disciple, to teach people about who Jesus is and what he has done for them in his life, death, and resurrection? 
about what their purpose is, is to, that their purpose is to know him and to be transformed and to also tell others and make disciples as well. What would it look like for you to find your one? Your one person that you can share the love of God with. Who's that one person? One person that you could share knowing God with. And I don't just mean like knowledge about God, not trivia, not like Bible drill or not answers, but instead the experiential nature of recognizing that, man, I was a sinner and God through his spirit in this miraculous way helped my heart see that I needed him and I trusted in him and he saved me. And all these things that I find in scripture, they're not just beautiful phrases. It's not just poetic. It's not just historic. It's this profound thing where I understand that the Lord is my shepherd and he's leading me and he's walking with me. That mercy and goodness are following me all the days of my life in Christ Jesus because he's never going to leave me and he's never going to forsake me. What would it look like for you to share that with one person, that knowledge of, that experience of spending time with and knowing God. One person you can teach about who God is and what he's done for you. I want to share with you this morning some, some applicable things that can help us be intentional. We are not going to be people who accidentally become saints. And here's what I mean by that. God, in his foreknowledge and has predestined us, go read Ephesians 1, he has chosen us, elected us to be his children in Christ Jesus. Absolutely. Paul's also going to talk about in Philippians chapter 2 that we're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, remembering that it's God who works and wills within us. So God is doing the work in us, and yet he calls us to this level of activity and devotion and trust and really living in him. So three things I want to share with you this morning from a point of application. Number one, in the words of Branch, the troll, right? You and I need to make a plan. You and I need to make a plan. What does it look like to spend time with God, to spend time reading God's word and spending time in prayer with him and also spending time sharing our knowledge, our experience of God with others as we make disciples? What does that look like? How are we doing that? Man, you got plans in your life. I know you do. You've got plans about how you spend your money. You've got plans about how you invest. You've got plans about what you're going to do to... to update or remodel the home in which you live now or buy the next home. You've got plans about what job is, is coming down the line next. You've got plans about what your kid is learning in school or where they're going to school and what the right path is for them going forward. You've got plans about what you're going to eat this week. You've got plans on the calendar. I'm, I'm going to go spend time with this person. We're going to dinner or we're making a meal or there's a game or there's a practice. Don't tell me you don't have a plan for your life because I know that you do. So do I. But what about a plan for your spiritual life? Do you have a plan? Here's what I would encourage you to do. Make a plan. And here's what I, I think that I really believe the scriptures are, are drawing us to this. Can you spend time with God any hour of the day? Absolutely. Are some of you in here and, and you are nurses and you work late and so your life looks different than the normal person? Absolutely. Can you spend time with the Lord later in the day? Absolutely. But let's, let's think about what Jesus did. It was the first thing. Jesus wakes and he goes to spend time with God. I would encourage you 
to wake up and to spend time with God. But that starts the night before. That starts by making a plan and deciding, all right, tomorrow I'm going to get up. I mean, we got folks in here that are, that are 530 people. we got four, folks in here that are 430 people. Uh, so many of you, I, I know your life, and I know your job, and I know what you do, and I know what, what it looks like, and I know what time you wake up almost, some of you. That might sound really weird, and you might say, I don't know if I want to go to this church. <laughs> but look, I, I, you get up in the morning, and you got a billion things to do. You know what Martin Luther, the reformer, the, the great Christian said? This is what he said. He said, I've got so many things to do today that there's no way I can accomplish it without spending three hours in prayer. And that sounds backwards to us in a modern world, right? That sounds crazy to us. We say, well, if you're spending three hours in prayer, dude, you're not doing anything. No, no, he's got it figured out. He knows his purpose is to spend time with God, and he's doing that intentionally. So here's what I would urge you to do. Make a plan. Decide the night before. Second, spend time with God in the morning. Make it the first thing that you do. And you might say, hey, Michael, I, I, that's great, but like, what do I do? What does that look like? I don't know how to do that. What does that actually look like? I want to share with you, there's a guy named David Mathis. He works with Desiring God, and he, he has this awesome, incredible, just four steps. It's just four real simple ways. There's a million ways you can spend time with God and study his word and experience him through word and prayer. But this is what he, he does, and, and he says, look, this can work for five minutes, or this can work for two hours, right? Four very practical things. Number one, to go before the Lord and just say, Lord, would you just bless the time that I'm taking to spend with you? Would you help me experience you and help me to know you? And then these three things occur. That's a, that's a brief portion. Next, reading the scriptures. And you might say, well, okay, where do I start? What's the plan? I would urge you, if you don't have a plan today, if, you, if you're going to go say, hey, I want to read God's word tomorrow, but Michael, I don't know where to start. I would urge you to start in 1 John chapter 1. To start in 1 John and start in chapter 1 and begin to read. And then do this. Read that scripture. Read that passage. Second, after that, meditate on the truth. What did you see in that passage? What did you see as you read that chapter? What did you see as you read those few verses? What are the things that stuck out to you? What are the things that are, you feel like are the theme or you think that God's trying to impress upon your heart or share with you? Meditate on that. Linger. That's what it means to meditate. It means to linger. It means to stay on that. And then finally, pray based on the things that you experience. Because here's the whole point of this. God, through His Spirit, is speaking to you. He's speaking to you through His Word. And prayer is our opportunity to speak back to Him. And the more you spend time with God daily, the more opportunities you're going to have to hear from the Lord. So make a plan. Make a plan. And look, you might want to talk with somebody here that, that's a part of your community group and say, hey man, what are you reading? I want to read God's word tomorrow. I want to get up and start to experience this rhythm of daily life where I'm walking through the Bible. I'm doing this thing where I'm reading the Bible in a year this year again, right? And, and so I've, I'm like this morning is, is Genesis uh, 21. And it's Matthew, and, and I'm, I'm also in Acts, and I'm also in Nehemiah, and I'm getting to hear God's Word, and I'm doing it daily. And I'm getting to experience Him, and I'm meditating on the things that I'm reading, and I'm hearing in God's Word, and I'm praying. And God is revealing Himself to me. He's helping me understand Him and know Him more and more and more. 
because I'm spending time with him. And I want to share this with you really, really quickly. Um, if you're like me, you want it to be like an epiphany. You want there to be this eureka moment. You've probably got that thing that's going on in your life that you're praying about right now, and you're going to drive uh, today or tomorrow on your way to work. Maybe they say you're going into work, and you want one of the billboards. You want God to change around the letters and tell you what decision you need to make or what thing you need to do or to give you some assurance or give you some confidence. This is where he's going to do it. He's going to share his wisdom and encouragement and love and grace and mercy and peace and hope through his word. Will you make a plan and make yourself available for it? Second, not only will you make a plan, will you commit to the plan? We're meant to be intentional and to commit to doing this. So three very specific things very quickly. Number one, work to establish consistency. Jesus was not just meeting in the morning with the Father occasionally. As we look at the patterns and the habits and the rhythms of life set in the gospel, this seemed to be ordinary life for him, that he would wake up before people around him and go to the the desolate place, the wilderness, and go be with God. And you might say, dude, you don't know my life. I don't have a desolate place. There is no wilderness to which I can go. And I would say, amen, I'm living that, dude. I'm with you. i got five other people in this house that I live in. And, and, and at times it feels like we're all on top of each other. We don't have space, right? I, gotta get, I, I just got to do this. Like, and it's brothers and sisters that have encouraged me that I'm not in no way, shape, or form. I just want to tell you about my life, okay? I have to wake up. I have to set my alarm. And I have to get up at either 520 or 530 to have that time in the wilderness, in the desolate place, in the quiet before my family wakes up. Because the little ones are hungry, and they're crazy. And when they wake up, like, all your plans are over, right? So i got to get up in the morning. i got to do that. What does that look like for you? you might, it might, your rhythm might not look the same as mine, and that's okay. Absolutely free, but work to establish consistency so that you're continually spending time with God. Second, share that plan that you come up with for accountability. Like, I've got brothers in my life. People in my life, my wife, folks that know, hey, this is my plan. This is what I'm reading. This is where I'm walking with God. So they can hold me accountable and ask questions. Tell me about your time with the Lord lately. What does it look like? How are you experiencing him? Third and finally, you will miss a day. You will miss time. You will miss moments. We all do. All of us do. Be gracious with yourself because God is gracious to you. This is not about performance. Being intentional is about pursuing God and living out our purpose. But recognize and remember that you are not spending time with God in order to earn God's affection or love. This is the truth. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. So this is not to earn God's favor or his good graces. It's just to experience his grace. It's just to know him and to know him more. Finally, share your experience. Hey, man, I've been spending time with God. I I, want to make disciples. I want to share this with people. What does that look like? Man, as you read through the word, as you pray, as you spend time with God, 
Take stock. What's God telling me? What's God revealing me? God, man, look, I read Psalm 23 today, and God showed me his love in dramatic ways. The fact that that he walks with me, not just in good times, but in bad times, and that he's always with me, that he cares about me, that he's protecting me from my enemies, that he doesn't leave me hungry, that he gives me water, that he nourishes me, and he provides for me. Things like that. Share that with others. What God has revealed to us. Second, how are you changing? Man, like, I know that there are things that happen in our lives that are really these amazing things where things change and we're excited and we tell people. We tell people when we get engaged. We tell people when we're going to have a baby. We tell people when it's our birthday, right? We, we share these things because they're exciting and they're incredible and things are changing. And having, what would it look like if we shared how God is changing us? with others. The question this morning is, who is the one person you can share that with? To offer hope. To offer life. To offer goodness. Jesus has called us to obey His commandments. He's called us to love one another as He has loved us. He's called us To live out the gospel. Our faith is an active one. But we got to remember, as we seek to spend time with God intentionally, as we seek to, to read His Word and pray intentionally, as we seek to make disciples by sharing our experiences with others intentionally, that none of this is about us. This is about what he's done for us, in us, through us, by his grace, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Here's the thing. I'm looking at a room full of incredible people who are wonderful, who love Jesus, who love one another. But here's the reality. You struggle. I know it because I've had conversations with you. I've talked with you. I've prayed with you. I've heard from you. We walk into this room every Sunday with the assumption that I think this is a group of people that's got it together. We don't got it together. I know how busy you are. I know how distracted you are. And I know that your tendency every morning when you wake up is to, if you, even, if you use it as an alarm, your tendency is to look at your phone and you start scrolling before you would ever start spending time with God. Amen? Like that, that happens to us. May we be people that are intentional with our lives. Where we say, hey, look, I want to follow Jesus with every breath. I'm singing that. I mean that. I know my purpose is to know God and to be transformed and to make disciples. You and I are called to be intentional about that. Can we do that together? Can we encourage one another? I'm asking you genuinely, as your brother, as a part of this family, can we do that together? Let's do that together. I hope today that you'll make a plan. I hope you'll commit to that plan, you'll share it with others, and I hope you'll share your experience of spending time with God as you and I seek to pursue the Lord and be transformed as we know our purpose and live intentionally together. Amen? If you will, bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so intentional with us. 
creating us in your image for your glory. Coming to us and redeeming us in the midst of our sin and rebellion. Everything that we have, every joy we experience is because of you and what you've done for us in Jesus. Father, you have pursued us. Would you cause us then, Father, to pursue you? Father, you've given us the wisdom. You've given us your word to help us understand our purpose. Now, Father, this morning we ask that we would trust truly only in Christ for salvation. That it would be in Christ alone that we would place our trust and our hope. And that as we do that, we would make intentional decisions to walk with you and to worship you daily. May it be so, Father. Pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.